Hello and welcome to the Rippling Pages podcast, Great Writers Making Waves, with the word all in conversation with me, Liam Bishop. And today I'm very excited to be talking to Olya Knezovic. Olya Knezovic was born in Montenegro. Her first novel, Melina and Other Social Reforms, was written while she was studying creative writing in England, before she translated back into Montenegrin for the only publisher independent of the Montenegrin government. Since that, she's written stories, novels, and her latest, Catherine the Great and the Small, is what we're here to discuss today. Nominated for the prestigious VBZ Prize, it's been translated by Paula Gordon and Ellen Elias Bersach for Istros Books. She joined me from Zagreb. So, Olya, uh, freedom is an interesting concept in your work. Milena and other social reforms is set close to our present day but it has a more obvious latent anger in response to the world in which the civil war gave way to in Yugoslavia. UN sanctions, Western plutocracy and corruption. But in Catherine the Great and the Small, you decide to go further back in time to the end of Tito's reign in the late 70s. But this is a time in which you've spoken as a time of having relative freedom. Has going further back into the past allowed you to revisit this particular time of freedom? Or is actually writing further back into the past the writing itself that sets you free? Yes, freedom uh, is the most important concept for me, I would say. Maybe because for me, writing has been freedom most of the time. It, it has been standing my ground and finding my voice. Writing has been connected with finding my courage and, and my vulnerability. And and it's all connected to, to freedom also because where I grew up in ex-Yugoslavia, freedom was such a conflicted concept because as children, we were free. This is what um, countries like that, the ex-communist countries had. They, were, they had this safety in the streets. So children would feel immense freedom. The whole community was on their side. They were running free, playing freely. And then when we became adults and when we thought now we would have intellectual freedom, we didn't. We couldn't write what we wanted to write. We couldn't really say what we wanted to say. Suddenly, but in our formative years, we we were free and we felt free. So it would become conflicted. We had to change and lose our first identity. And uh, where there's conflict, there's always a path to literature, I suppose. So freedom has become for me a very, very important topic, maybe in a different way than in the English language and what you were accustomed to, for example, because you don't have also the regime and the regime writers. These are people who also maybe set out to with their writing search for freedom and and express what to them it meant to be free to to express their personal freedoms but when they started being paid by their governments for writing when they started receiving salary they just uh, their writing turned into typing or pr and uh, that's that was the end of their freedom and writing connection you said so these uh, right, I don't know if you have some examples, but these writers would be writing either for the government or they would get paid by the government eventually to write. Well, 
you had them in Soviet Union, you had them in Czech, Czechoslovakia, um, in Yugoslavia. They were writers because maybe they set out because they had this calling in them. And, and writing to them was also connected with freedom. But once they were contacted by the regime and, and were told to write in order to uh, glorify the regime, the government, they kind of had to do it. And so they were over. And if they didn't write for the regime, they would be... Back in the days of the 60s, 70s, uh, even 80s, they would even may, may end, have ended up in prison. They, they lost themselves. They lost this... Lost themselves. This, uh, yeah, they lost themselves. They lost this sparkle which pushed them on to go into writing at all. So, so you see why freedom for me is something... Freedom in the Balkans is still this concept people cry over, people go to jail because, you know, we still take it so dramatically. And it's, it's very above us all still uh, because we never lived in a free society. Of course, uh, of course freedom for me was going to be important. And um, it still is. Uh, I guess it always Will be true. And I wonder how that sort of changes because I've read several times and they're all set within an aspect of Montenegro's history when this definition of freedom might have changed. And, but both of them have very, uh, both of them have female protagonists uh, that drive the voice of the novel. You just said that where there's conflict, there's a path to freedom. And you've spoken in another interview of how female identities become your territory. But it seems like writing is an act of establishing some kind of territory for you. <laughs> it's not that belligerent. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> I meant, I meant more um, in the sense that I, I was writing what I knew about. I was, I was writing uh, what I have experienced. Uh, that's what I meant by territory. I, I'm still enjoying the most when I'm documenting my own life experiences i'm still not brave enough to put myself there and write about my own life but i'm writing about um, where i've come from people i've met their stories my friends you know my people it's it's my community that i had to leave i don't live there anymore um but Memories are my inspiration, and I realize more and more how they have always inspired me. So um, that's what I meant by my territory, and it is mostly women and the loss of community that gave me my first identity. Um, so how lucky am I? It's a great territory, to say it again. It's endless, it's inspiring, and... and I've lived it, which again gives me kind of the, the right to the right to write about it uh, from experience and from my voice. So, I, which I also give to all these women, all these characters. I love to populate my writings with women and and their voices. I think women's voices are really, really needed right now. Um, I'm not going to say more than ever, but very important because they heal, you know, and they know how to tend and befriend and they know how to bring joy and they want joy. 
Well, your characters <laughs> certainly do. That's for sure. And I don't know if this is the, the. I don't know if this is part of the appeal. In um, even though, you know, Catherine goes up in quite a, a obviously difficult situation and lives in a difficult situation with coming out of communism into the civil war and the sanctions that we see see quite a bit of in Milena, for instance. But she goes back and she can't avoid going back or maybe she can't avoid going back, but she goes back to the salon, for instance, where all these characters and all these women, are, uh, this really kind of quite joyful and communal atmosphere. Is that part of the appeal of that? Yes. I realized when I left my country that what we had, we, we didn't value enough. And that was the sense of community beautiful community suddenly was shown um but but i can never forget people who made me and um, and all the senses are used when when one writes and all these senses are great triggers to uh, memories which are then material of course yeah you do write uh, the senses are very important uh, and you write and you build this world uh, this past um, as we sort of identified fact and fiction, I found that you write about smell quite a lot. Um, yeah, it, well, it's it's one of the biggest triggers mm. for memory, smell, music. Only in the 90s during the war, which, as I said, sets you back 50 years ago, suddenly all these tube of folk, um, surgically enhanced uh, women started appearing with this stupid lyrics uh, about abandoned women pining for their men uh, hating other women which was all so so different from what was happening just five years be before that we were we were very advanced we were following all the trends in the west movies music this is the i there's a really fascinating aspect of your work because you talk not just about writing, but you talk about your identity as a writer. Yes, women, women, um, I think I love to read women who write about female identity and the quest for it and the searching for it because we are still, it's been, it's been more or less the same for women since, since the beginning, since Eve, until maybe 2016 and the Me Too movement, you know, where <laughs> <laughs> now it's starting to change a bit slowly. But still, we are born and then put in this identity of a daughter who's going to be much nicer than the son. And then a sister who should be much nicer to a brother than a brother can be to a sister because boys will be boys. And then to find your inner music, your inner voice, your true self, you want to reconnect. And then you go to some room <laughs> or, you know, to your space and you try to do it. Sometimes you do it by writing in that room. Sometimes by, uh, I don't know, singing, dancing, just talking to very close friends but there comes a point when you have to do it you have to see uh, what you really are underneath all these identities that kind of were just were put on you how do you say it? I, I forgot the, the better word, verb um, imposed perhaps 
Well, you do write a lot about rooms, I've noticed. Um, Elena, for instance, as soon as she's able to, she moves out of her parents' home and buys a flat. Uh, Katerina, she has a workroom that you talk about at the end of the novel, and there's a plaque there that says, we abandon hopelessness, all of us who enter here. And, <laughs> you know, not to kind of, I know this sort of gets trolled up quite a lot in relation to Virginia Woolf and a room of one's own. I think you have spoken about this previously as well. Yeah, it's still very actual, isn't it? Uh, the, the, uh, the room of one's own. Um, rooms are also freedom. Maybe it has something to do with my generation and where I grew up, but I feel that women, um, when, they, when they want to go deep inside themselves, when they need a moment with them, themselves, they have to go and lock themselves up in a room of their own. Um, Otherwise, if, if they're available, if they're seen, if they're visible, no one's going to leave them alone. They're always needed. Women are healers. They're needed. The rest of the family always depends on them. Um, maybe it's, it's changing now for your generation and where you live. And it's great. It's really great. It's one of the best news of the world now. But for me and women of my generation and and from where I come. Um, your partner is calling you, the children are hungry, pets are sick, and you, if you want to reconnect with yourself, not lose yourself, you have to go to a room. And Milena, who was young and didn't have children and was uh, single, uh, she was also looking for her space to save herself because she had other problems. She had gotten into corruption and crime and became the part of it and wanted to fight it but then got lost so she had to escape and find rooms and even countries where she could hide and and find herself again but when a woman goes to a room it's so funny um she has to look busy right uh, <laughs> because a woman cannot be seen just lost in her thoughts it's still not a very likable image, even in this century, in this day and age. A woman just lost in her thoughts, which, which is what writing most usually is, yes. less than just typing, is still not a very acceptable image. Like it's, She's considered lazy, she's ridiculed, she's openly insulted. What is she doing? Good for nothing. But we're just human, we also need it. Important. There is something mysterious, something deep, intimate. Well, I just wonder if um, every story, to an extent, has come from someone who's been sat in a room on their own and has had yeah. the space and the time to be in their own thoughts, be in their own mind. You know, I don't need to tell you that because obviously you are <laughs> a published writer. But <laughs> yeah, in in my consciousness, I still find all these interesting women and their voices and I want to write them down and they I have met them no doubt I have heard them even who knows I'm I, from when I was very young um, and I admire them I probably want to be them uh, wanted to be like them uh, writers have ear an ear you know so when I when I'm alone and I sit down to write they come and I just think either I am all my characters or 
you know, I or, or all these characters from my past and recent past or or long ago past are have become my writing voices. But it's just so inspiring. Well, should we talk about some of those characters, at yes. least in your novel, a bit more? Um, yes. And they are incredibly compelling female characters. I'm not sure where the truth of these characters. I'm not sure that necessarily matters for somebody. I mean, obviously, I'm interested, but well, we have Belicia, uh, troubled, talented, and she becomes very wrapped up in this underbelly and the corruptive world that you've spoken of when she moves to Belgrade, for instance. And yes, then there's a grand I always like I always like having one really travelled character. Yeah. <laughs> well, you talked about kind of. That's how... my fear, you know. That's my fear side. Uh, I've, I've I've met. Yeah. These uh, like Milena is also. She was much braver than I could ever be, um, and and Milica is much darker, and she goes and does things that I could never do, but. But that's also me. That's also my really dark side and my fears. Are these fears from a kind of a past and the what that you've seen and experienced in sort of ex Yugoslavia, or these are kind of projection into? Oh, the future? it's just uh, it's much more prosaic than that. I was just uh, that's my character. I'm very brave in my writing, but in real life, you know, I'm an introvert. I like to sit at home. <laughs> I like to hear other people's stories, what they did. That was great. I mean, I started driving like three years ago. <laughs> so, that, but you know, in my writing, I was driving since I was four. So, well, I was a late driver actually. <laughs> um, it took me a few years to pluck up the courage. Well, there is one female character who play who gets a bit less coverage, but she plays an important role, and that's Alma. Um, and I yeah. wondered if you just wanted to speak about her because obviously there's kind of big characters such as the grandmother who cares for Katerina, also Katerina herself um, but Alma she's situated in quite a, a very sort of nuanced aspect of the novel So when Catherine was a student in Belgrade she lived at Alma's apartment and she worked for Alma as what we today we'll call an au pair. She lived there and took care of both Alma's children because Alma was a very young widow uh, and also a working woman and very ambitious. So Alma did not feel any shame back in still communist Yugoslavia to just leave her children with a young au pair who, she, who, who was gonna live in one of her rooms in an apartment that she had inherited from her uh, late husband, a government official, and that was the reason they got this really big apartment. And Alma would just go to work. Now, and she was still young, yet a widow, and kind of more free than all the women of her age. So, in other words, Alma was my fantasy. I've always admired women like that still young but very ambitious going to work leaving their children with a sitter an au pair a nanny whatever but she's not gonna stay home and in fact she has a line in the book uh where she tells um, Catherine well I'm never gonna stay home I'm never gonna be one of these women who just stay at home because you know what happens then everyone just rings at your doorbell 
postman, handyman, other neighbors leaving their children with you because they all know you're the one that stays at home. Well, I'm not that kind of woman. I'm going to go to work no matter what. And, you know, clearly, this is what I'd love to be. <laughs> I'd love to be this. <laughs> it, um, but I also did meet women like this while I was very young. I, well, when I was a student in Belgrade, I did meet women like this and I loved them. I always admired them. So Alma, yeah, Alma is one of my fantasy characters. Also the grandmother is. The grandmother's because, fantastic. The grandmother oh, is yeah. fantastic. Grandmother in literature, you know, you know, women who are 40, 50, in their 40s and 50s, what we call middle-aged, they, they disappear from fiction. This is why I wanted uh, Catherine to the second half of the book, 50, because they kind of, uh, after they're young, when they become middle-aged, they go, they hibernate. Female characters in literature, uh, they're never the protagonists, or if they are, they have to become men. They have to become bad bitches who fight and shoot guns and stuff like that. Um, because they're not interesting to anybody uh, until they're properly old again, like the grandmother is, when they are allowed to be wise before they die. <laughs> before they're dead. <laughs> Catherine the Great and the Small. I will read a small part very close to the beginning of the book when Catherine or, or Katja as her friends call her is 11 years old. I'm alone in the building entrance. All the guerrillas have been found except me. I'm tired of hiding. I move my skinny body away from the piss-stained wall. I decide to turn myself in, sad, because I think no one wants to find me, that is, capture me, the way they capture the other girls, showing they like them by grabbing their breasts or bottoms. I don't yet have those flashy features. A man's shadow fills the doorway. I hold my breath. Is this the maniac from our part of town? The pedophile who loves boys? Maybe he's been stalking me, thinking I'm a boy. Gotcha. Phew. Someone who knows me well enough to use a nickname. The voice of one of my cousins. I'm hiding. Leave me alone, I say. Gotcha. Come home with me. Your dad's waiting. What's going on? Why do you always ask so many questions? Don't be a pest. He's not yelling, which is unusual, considering he has the personality of a nervous teenager. His nickname is even Jumpy 2. Jumpy 1 died young. He was killed, driving too fast, trying to break the neighborhood speed records of the coast to impress a girl known as Flamenca, who soon after that got married and disappeared. Hey, just come with me, says my cousin, Jumpy too. There's a very spiritual aspect to Catherine. We not really spoke about her specifically, and obviously the novel centered around her. And I wonder if she's kind of a conduit in a sense for all these voices, all these female voices. There's a real spiritual aspect to uh, Catherine. That I, and when I got to the end of the novel, I kind of felt like she could be 
scratch. I thought like she was sort of living on beyond everybody else. And it kind of endurability. And I wonder if the grandmother and Catherine might in some way be twinned in that respect, if she's sort of named after her. And you leave that detail right to the very end. Yeah, she she was probably going to go and inherit the the spirit of the grandmother. She was she's probably. I mean, that's I I ended the book with an openness to what's going to happen to Catherine in her mature age, where she was going towards freeing herself and becoming the woman she was going to become, which is really her grandmother, because that's who raised her, because her mother died when she was young. But then she she just immediately without much mourning, turns to form her new family of her choosing, which was going to consist of primarily her grandmother because she could sense that wisdom, that strength, yet no judgment, just directions and boundaries, but without a judgment, as grandmothers can do, unless they're really mean grandmothers, uh, of which they're really men in literature. And I didn't want this. I didn't... I didn't want a mean grandmother. I didn't want um, a bad bitch middle-aged woman who suddenly becomes like a man, you know. I wanted just women's female circle of healing. I think, uh, well, there's a lot of strife in the novel. There's a lot of conflict. There's a lot of, there's a lot of death. And I'm going to pick up that shortly. But Yeah, that's but true. It's not all fun and games. <laughs> well, no, but there is a real... I don't know if I'm being sentimental, but there is a, a sense of, and I think it comes from Catherine being beyond life in a way. And there are a number, and there's a number of deaths to a lot of significant people in Catherine's life. And the mother dies right at the start uh, of the novel, but you don't allow Catherine to mourn for that. I was wondering if you chose to do that or. I think when I started writing uh, that I decided the mother's going to die. Because the character of mother was otherwise going to imprison the novel. Or it was going to imprison Catherine, maybe. But also the novel, because uh, the character of a sick, dying, yet really lovable mother was too big. Um, It was just going to take chapters and chapters. So she dies rather early on and Catherine I know it's it's a huge thing to lose a mother while when you're 11 it's really sad it's a tragedy but I also didn't want then the morning to take to imprison the novel Um, so she doesn't because morning has been done depression has been done so well too also from people's own experiences um, so I, I wanted to research something else. I wanted to research a young girl who has this really great spirit, uh, as you have noticed, that she wants to move on and wants to form now her new family where she can be allowed to be happy and to have childhood still filled with joy. So she chooses the grandmother, her best friend, and the brother to form a new family, which was quite advanced, right, for that time. Um, And also my own mother is a big personality. 
huge personality. So right. when I when I put a mother in a book, it's going to be a book about my mother because her life was amazing. She actually lost her own mother when she was seventeen, um, and from I was I wasn't born obviously then, but from what I heard, and and from what I could gather. She didn't also mourn in a classical sense. She she started competing in sports, uh, and then fell in love with my dad. Had me really early on. So, yeah, mothers for me. When I want to do a mother properly, it's going to be about my mother <laughs> because she's huge. And uh, but this mother, it was going to be about Catherine and about her very unusual spirit for those times, unbreakable in a way. So this mother, I have to say, was kind of going to be a memory more than anything. Yeah. And I wondered if um, you spoke about the mother and this kind of big presence of your own mother. Going forward into kind of future novels and future projects, what, how, what, what's that going to look like when you do explore a big personality like your, your mother? Is it going to be a... Is it going to be a, a kind of fictional guise or is it going to be non-fiction? How do these sort of ideas get teased out and put onto a, into a page? Um, where I'm going right now, I think it's going to be, how should I call it? Auto-fiction essay <laughs> on um, voices and faces of, of people I loved in different kinds of love, with different kinds of love. So not just uh, romantic love, but uh, love of a of a parent, friend, dog, um, children, and love, hate, too much love, overwhelming love, something like that. I'm still uh, really, really thinking it through, writing a bit, trying to connect it, searching for a form. And reading a lot, actually, of, of, of writers in English, of women writers in English, and I envy them because they can, they can come up with so much and they will be published and they will influence us writing in small languages because even if we are innovators, we are just writing in a small language, you know. Who's going to know? But for example, I'm, I'm reading Rachel Cusk. I'm really admiring her. For yes. me, she's, a, she's an innovator. She came up with this amazing way to write about herself and her own experiences and what she is in this world. Uh, Olivia Lang as well. Have you read her? Yeah. Oh, Sheila Hetty. Uh, another, another. Oh, and... Sheila Hetty. Yes, she... yes. Oh, yes. I read her. Uh, how should a person be? I didn't read her motherhood, but how should a person be? I really liked, yeah. Yeah, that's the one I, I read in motherhood. And I, it was during lockdown, and I just sat in the garden when it was nice and hot and just read it in, a, in the day. Yeah. Now's guard. Um, and but he's too much in like a detail. So sometimes there's a, there's a really a sparkle coming through. He has like a great paragraph, but then after that, it becomes a bit tedious again. These women, I think maybe said, well, if he can write clearly about his life, find it interesting. Well, I'm going to find an, it interesting too, you know, my own life, but I'm going to find a form that's going to be less in detail 
And so they did. They flew, you know, Rachel Kask, Sheila Hetty, Mary Gateskill, Deborah Levy. I love them. I really all are so strong, so interesting, so clear in their writing because women used to be unclear in their writings because they were afraid but now women are less afraid they're really writing from their rooms what i find interesting is that i find women can write more interestingly about corporality about the body about the relationship as an actual being in the yeah. world and not just you know being a writer and there's no scale does quite, and i like no scale yeah. but uh, yeah, yeah, you're right. Yeah, you're right. You're right. They're more um, tactile, and I think that too. Yeah, a bit of a bit of a snarky kind of attitude towards it. This kind of sort of life writing, but I think it's indicative of you know how the times change. And but also, listen, if I may say, I'm sorry for interrupting again, um, but it just occurred to me. Maybe it they they all thought the same way I thought but I was for, forced to think so because I'm writing in such a small language I was I just came to this conclusion I should just write for me and maybe and for now because in future who's gonna even know about any of us like maybe my children or their children will kind of say oh look this is you know these are the books by my mother and or by my grandmother and then they will kind of go through them to find what they are looking for about themselves of course and i i want to give it to them no i'm going to write for my soul my heart but what happens also a lovely theory i i believe in is the deeper you go into what is you specifically, the closer you come to connect with the, what's considered universal. Okay, I was listening to um, Nicole Krauss. She's been interviewed uh -huh. on Bookworm. Oh, she's great too. I love she's her. She's a great writer, yeah. And she yeah. says writing is like, I'll see if I can get this right. Writing is like yeah. putting a bucket into the unconscious and seeing what comes up. Yeah. And I just wondered yeah. when, you, when you said, what, you know, who's going to remember us when we're not here? Or... And you had an image of your daughter's uh, children looking at your books and saying, these are my mother's books. Is that a comforting image or is it? Yeah, well, I mean, I'm not going to be around anyway. So, but it is comforting. And plus, there are no more really classics. You know, everyone writes, which is good. Why not? Um, writing is also therapeutic. I don't know why people are running away to, from admitting it. It's super ter therapeutic and it's great. So people should write. If you can publish, publish. Your book is going to find a way and maybe help someone or maybe open up someone else. Um, but, but what I'm trying to say, then books are not long lived anymore that much, except for maybe the inner like I think Rachel Kusk is, um, that she's really important. So why, with that in mind, why not just write, go back to writing what, what gives you bliss, you know, for your own soul. Cool. You are the only thing that's new in the writing. Do you know what I mean? It's you, nothing else. And this is what I find so interesting about you, because you are right. You talk about yourself as a writer and the identity and the self you talk about the self quite a lot as a writer and the image you mentioned not to kind of stick with it too much but 
it just sounded very much like what you were saying about you find the women in your consciousness and write their stories to bring them to your true self. And I think it is a comforting image and it is just a, you know, write for your, not write for, you know, don't write for yourself in the sense of, oh, you just do it for your own kind of, but write because you have a self that can mm. sometimes it'll be expressed in this way. And if you don't do that, you're not going to access something that um, you have the potential to access through writing. Yeah, but I will always access it. You know, I, I, what I started now, I started just like about me openly, but then I went, I went to other characters, the people, and, and of course I started then inventing characters again, because life is not um, architected by the laws of writing and the laws of novel you know <laughs> you but by you know with the law by the laws of novel writing really so then you have to invent um well i will close by saying well olya knezovich it's been an absolute pleasure catherine the great and the small is available to buy now uh, and it's published by istros books thank you liam thank you so much and that's it for today. My thanks go to Olya Knezovic and of course my thanks to you for listening. Next I'm joined by the writer Neil Griffiths. He talks to me about his contribution to the anthology Trauma 